the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. For a born-again life, he talked about a pure heart. Now, I only point that out because I have some friends who are card-carrying charismatics, and I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, but friends, speaking in tongues is not the evidence that you were born again. Okay? Peter could have said it right there. We know they're born again. We heard them speaking in tongues. That's not what he said. He said, we know they're born again because God has purified their hearts by faith. It's a heart work that happens. And it was evidenced by a changed life. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Do you know someone who every year says they are going to be better than the previous year? They may say the right things and act like they want things to change, but you can always tell if they truly made the change by the way they live their life. In today's message, Pastor Gary points out the one surefire way to tell if someone is a born-again believer is a changed life. If someone says they are a true believer and they demonstrate a spiritual gift, but they haven't changed the way they live, are they really born again? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts, chapter 15, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Paul and Barnabas have concluded their first missionary journey. They traveled through what is today on a map a lot of Turkey. In those days, it was called Asia Minor. And they have finished, after about a years-long journey, uh, establishing various churches and strengthening the believers who were already there. Uh, They've returned now to Antioch of Syria, which is a city located in, uh, actually today it would be considered in Turkey, but back in the day it was considered in Syria. So right along the border of Syria and Turkey, uh, the early churches established somewhat of a, of a main headquarters. Now, Jerusalem is still serving as the ultimate headquarters where the 11 apostles, well, actually, minus uh, James, uh, the brother of, of John, who was uh, beheaded in chapter 12 of Acts, so, and again, also minus Judas, obviously, at this point. So they're down to about 10, uh, but, but uh, the half-brother of Jesus has stepped into a leadership role, that is James. So that still exists in Jerusalem, and they're actually going to appeal to the Council of Jerusalem for some arbitration and matters of dispute. Uh, But otherwise, Antioch of Syria is one of the main home bases for the early church back in this time. Paul and Barnabas have now returned to that location, and they're giving this wonderful report about how so many people came to faith in Christ as they made their travels throughout Turkey, throughout Asia Minor. 
And the, and the most marvelous thing that they report about was how, how Gentiles came to faith in Jesus. And again, you know, for the most part, the Jews were the ones who made up the early church, those who believed in Jesus. Obviously, there were many, the majority of Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But for the first 10 years or so, and for the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, the early church was made up of Jews who were believers in Jesus. Not until chapter 10 with Cornelius do we find the first Gentile convert. And now, as Paul and Barnabas have been making their way throughout Asia Minor, Gentile after Gentile after Gentile has been coming to faith in Christ. And these Jewish guys, Paul and Barnabas, go back and report to the church at Antioch. You're never going to believe this, but we've seen dozens and hundreds and thousands of Jews, uh, rather Gentiles, coming to faith in Christ. It's been a marvelous missionary journey. Uh, and, and so they report this good news. Now, they are reporting this good news, but how many of you understand there's always a skeptic in the crowd? There's always a critic in the crowd. There's always somebody who wants to judge things in the crowd. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about, you know, there. But anyway, <laughs> hey, sinners is what I call job security. Do you know what I'm saying? But anyway, so what you have here in chapter 15 <laughs> is uh, now they're gonna, you're, you're going to find these kind of naysayers, these critics, uh, these skeptics, coming and, and arguing with Paul and Barnabas over the fact that, what, what are you guys saying? Gentiles? They've become believers? Oh, it's not that easy. Look at chapter 15, so they say. Verse 1. Some men came down from Judea, no doubt probably Jerusalem, to Antioch and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Isn't that a nice biblical way of saying they were fighting? You know, sharp dispute and debate. But they were fighting. They were arguing here. And what were they arguing about? There were some who came from Judea, probably Jerusalem in particular. Judea is just a province. Jerusalem is a city. These are the same people who have been following Paul around all over Turkey, complaining about his ministry and trying to uh, undermine what was happening. And these guys come up to Antioch in Syria, 300 miles from Jerusalem, 300 miles, to say what? To say this. You can't be a Christian unless you first become a Jew. Now, these, these guys who were uh, making this argument, they were believers. They were believers in Jesus. But they believed that in order for you to be truly a Christian, a believer in Christ, you had to go through Judaism to get there. They were basically saying, and if this had been agreed to, it would have made Christianity simply a sect of Judaism, which it is not. But that's what they were arguing. And so they say, hey, you got to be circumcised first in order to really be saved. Now, again, just so we understand, circumcision was a covenant right given by God to Abraham. And God said to Abraham, you and your descendants shall be circumcised as a covenant that you belong to me, that you are a people set apart for me. If you've ever thought, why is circumcision? That seems a little strange. Let me just basically summarize it like this without being crude or crass. Circumcision is putting a knife to the place of reproduction. And God was saying basically this, that I want you to put a knife to the place of reproduction as a way of cutting away the flesh so that you would always remember you are 
people who belong to me, that I am your father as God, and you are to be a people who are the product and and the result of my divine design. You belong to me. So when you think of reproduction, I want you to think of how I am your father, and you are ultimately the people who belong to me. So circumcision became the mark in their flesh. At the point of reproduction, as a reminder, you are a people belonging to God. God is your father. You are a nation that was birthed out of the heart of God. And so circumcision became something that marked, literally marked, the Jewish people. Now, it became then something that distinguished them from, from other people on the earth. Today, obviously, circumcision is usually practiced, at least in the Western Hemisphere, and, and sometimes just as a matter of tradition, sometimes as a matter of hygiene, but it, it, is, it has no bearing on someone's relationship to Christ. Okay? It, was, it was a singular way of identifying the Jewish people that God called unto himself, and it started with Abraham and was passed down through the Jewish people. It is still a right practice today, no doubt, for sure it is. Uh, but the argument that these people are making as Christians is... You, you have to be circumcised. In other words, you have to become Jewish. You have to be marked. You have to go through Judaism in order to really be saved. Now, Paul and Barnabas argue with them. Like, wait a minute. This is not about going through Judaism. This is about going directly to God through Jesus Christ. This is about a relationship with Christ. This isn't about going through rules and regulations and identifying yourself as being Jewish. This is about identifying yourself as being born again, saved because you belong to Christ. So they're arguing about this. Must you become Jewish or is it okay to go directly to God and anybody can just get saved these days? That was their disagreement. So because of the argument, look what happens. They have to resolve this. They're like, well, we need to, you know, we need to take this to the Jewish ruling council. Kind of in the day, it was just like, we need, to, you know, we need to take this up to the appellate court. We need to go up to the Supreme Court and get a decision on this. And so it says in the middle of verse 2, So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Notice that. About this question. What is this question? Here, for those of you taking notes, here's the question. In order to become a Christian, must you first become a Jew? So, Paul and Barnabas are going to go up, along with some other believers, to Jerusalem, and they're going to appeal to the apostles there, and they're going to ask, can you give us a decision, give us a ruling on this question? Verse 3, the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Okay, So they're making the 300-mile journey from Antioch to Jerusalem. Along the way, Paul and Barnabas are spreading the good news. By the way, many Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. All the other brothers, in other words, believers, they're excited about this. That's exciting. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, don't tell these guys who are dragging their tails behind us because they're arguing with us. We're on our way to Jerusalem to settle the whole dispute. And so they arrive. It says in verse 5, And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Okay, so now they're in Jerusalem, and they're basically now presenting their arguments. And there are some Pharisees. Now remember, Pharisees is just a description of a religious sect. There are, there, there are some Pharisees who are believers in Jesus now. They've become converts to the faith, but they're still holding on to the idea that you must be Jewish first. And so that's their argument. They're, they're repeating the same thing. 
Verse 6 says that the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. All right, in the margin of your Bible, you just might want to write Acts 10, because he's referring to the events that happened back in Acts chapter 10, when he went to the house of Cornelius and preached to Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, a Gentile, and his whole family got saved. And in Acts 10, it also says that the Holy Spirit fell on them. They spoke in tongues, so there was evidence that, that, that God had been working on their hearts for sure. And so Peter gets up, he goes, you know, guys, he didn't say this, but he's like, remember Acts chapter 10? He's like, you know the whole thing about the Gentiles, how they came to hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe, verse 8, God who knows the heart, that's comforting and convicting at the same time, isn't it, friends? God knows your heart. Oh, that's so sweet. God knows your heart. Oh. It's comforting and convicting all at the same time, isn't it? God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now please note that. Of all the things that Peter could have said was the evidence for a born-again life. He talked about a pure heart. Now I only point that out because I have some friends who are card-carrying charismatics, and I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, but friends, speaking in tongues is not the evidence that you were born again. Okay? Peter could have said it right there. We know they're born again. We heard them speaking in tongues. That's not what he said. He said, we know they're born again because God has purified their hearts by faith. It's a heart work that happens. And it was evidenced by a changed life. He says in verse 10, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. By the way, notice that order. He doesn't say it is by the grace of our Lord Jesus that they are saved just like we are. He actually defers to them. He says, you know, we're saved by the same grace they are. He knows it's definitive for them. And he, and he emphasizes the grace versus the yoke he said there, he said, he said, you know, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? The yoke that he's talking about is the law, the heaviness, the yoke. Like, you know, when animals get harnessed together, you have this yoke, and it's this heavy kind of oppressive thing that, that you know, is, that weighs on the animals. And so he's using that analogy. He's like, you know, the law is like a yoke. And he's not kidding. He's like, no yoke. Listen, it's, this is a terror. Okay, it's a Wednesday night. I'm just trying to lighten up your day. But anyway, so he's, he's like, listen, you know, we don't need a yoke. The Mishnah gives, con- consolidates the laws of Scripture into 1,613 laws. Mitzvot. 1,600, sorry, 613 laws. 365 laws that are negative. 248 laws that are positive, 248 laws of things that you should do, 365 laws of things you should not do, for a total of 613 laws. And Peter says, none of us have been able to fulfill 613 laws, okay? Guys, who are we trying to kid, you know? I don't know about you, but I haven't been doing the 613. That's what he's saying to them. That's my best little Jewish Peter I could possibly come up with. (laughs) 
So he's like, you know, we can't, we can't keep doing this. Why do you want to impose on these Gentiles the same burden that we or our forefathers were not able to bear? In other words, the law, the law was not able to save us. That's why, he adds there, that's why, verse 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It is grace. It is, you've heard this acronym, the breakdown of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is the work of God through Jesus who dies on a cross, our faith in him and his finished work that, that brings us salvation. Not by obeying 613 laws. It's impossible for us to do that. So Peter is appealing to the Jewish ruling council here. And he's saying, listen, guys, we, we don't want to make the Gentiles become a slave to the law because that's not what salvation is about. It's about grace. So he makes his argument. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Now, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. They have the same mothers, but different fathers, okay? Jesus' father, obviously, is God. Uh, But this is the half-brother of Jesus. This is not James, the brother of John, because that James was beheaded in chapter 12. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He ends up being the one who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of James in the Bible. And he ends up becoming, not just a believer, obviously, but a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And so he's going to speak up here, and and he's going to throw in his two cents. And he says this, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, that is Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. He's going to quote here from the book of Amos. And he quotes it. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, James still speaking here, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay, so Peter makes his appeal Barnabas and Paul talk about their own experience with the Gentiles getting saved. James then stands up and he says, listen, all this is making sense. We shouldn't create a burden on the Gentiles who have come to faith in Jesus by requiring them to become Jewish because it's a direct line and they can get saved just like we can. But then James says, but I, I want to submit that there are four things we should tell the Gentiles not to do. And he lists them there. Now, they're going to get listed again a little bit further down, so I'm going to comment on it, but let's wait till we read it further down because they're going to put it in a letter. They're going to draft a letter. 
and they're going to send it back to the church at Antioch with Paul and Barnabas so that people can know what the, the Jewish council in Jerusalem has decided concerning Gentiles being believers. So, so keep reading, verse 22. And then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas. Barsabbas translates in Hebrew, son of the Sabbath. And Silas. We'll circle that name because he's going to become a major traveling companion of Paul's in his next missionary journey. Okay, that's Silas. Two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. Here's the letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Here they are. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. All right, so that's the letter. And by the way, notice the way it starts. They, they, they kind of, like, this is kind of a word that's been used in the political realm these days. They disavow, all right? They disavow the... the uh, these people who go up to Antioch and say, you got to become Jewish in order to get saved. And, and the, the Jewish ruling council here writes this letter and say, we, we didn't send those people. We, we, had, we disavow our relationship with them. Uh, they, they came on their own accord. We didn't tell them to come. And so in the letter, they basically then whittle things down to four major things. They're like, you Gentiles, you're free to be believers. We get it. You can go directly to God through Jesus, but we're going to ask you to do four things. And here's the list of the four things, okay? I'm going to just summarize the four. Here they are. Number one, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Number two, don't eat blood. Number three, don't eat the meat of strangled animals. And number four, don't commit sexual immorality. Now, you might read this list, and I will tell you that over the centuries, many people have read this list, and, and people have scratched their heads. Like, why these four particular things? You know, why not, why not other four things? Why not... Be sure that you keep the Sabbath. Why not, you know, don't murder anybody. Uh, You know, a a few of the main important Ten Commandments. You know, don't covet. Uh, You know, don't. uh, There could have been a variety of things that they said. But, you know, where does the list stop? Because if they keep making a long list, you're going to be back to the heavy burden of the law all over again. So they're trying to just consolidate a few things to four. And what they end up coming up with are basically three rules of dietary and one rule of morality. The first three are the rules of dietary. Uh, So it addresses what to eat and what not to eat. Now, you have to bear in mind that they are writing to people who are Gentiles, who have come to faith in Jesus, all right? These Gentiles are not familiar with Jewish law. They they don't know the Jewish scriptures. Uh, They've come to faith in Jesus out of a very pagan world, So these Gentiles, first century A.D., they are Greco-Roman in belief and behavior. All right? They believe in all the polytheistic gods of the Greeks and the Romans. 
Those are the Gentiles. They, they haven't been worshiping the God, the singular God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've been worshiping Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and Poseidon and all these, all these figments of man's imagination. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from a series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church. And you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as he did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.